You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. Now with the streamlined intro. On this episode, Eric of Garden Fork drops by to opinionate on window glazing, concrete anchors, mouse traps, and the mystery that is Harbor Freight. Before we get to that, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers Dan F., Heather E., Lynn G., K., Scott G., Kellyan, Stephanie L., Erica R., Kelton M., Kyle P., Nicholas H., and yes, Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Michael W., Dutch Girl, and Johan. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And now my conversation with Eric Rochow. Hey, Eric, how are you? Hello, sir. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being my emergency guest. (laughs) (laughs) I I go on Roots. I read Roots Simple at night in bed. So you are in bed with me. So Um, to speak. And, uh, and then and then every other post lately has been something about, well, I needed to do this thing. And so I, I found Eric knew how to do it. <laughs> it's weird because, of course, I've been Googling stuff to figure out how to do things. And then, well, it's, oh, it's Eric of Garden Fork. That's what we call evergreen content. I mean, like when I release a video from the get-go, maybe not a lot of people watch it. But over time, it just accumulates eyeballs because it, it addresses a specific problem that a homeowner or someone has. Um, I fixed my gas grill, my propane gas grill, because the regulator, it wasn't broken, but it needed to be reset. There's a rubber diaphragm in there. And I, I just kind of made it on a whim. I just whipped out my cell phone and said, hey, my, my propane grill doesn't work, and here's what I did. And every weekend, there's a comment going, I was about to buy a new grill, and you just saved me $300. Because they, the, they can't get the thing, they can't get to work. They go on YouTube, they find this three-minute video, and... um they I fixed thousands of grills. <laughs> now, have you ever had the experience of wanting to of needing to look something up and then you end up on your own website? No, but I sometimes <laughs> forget all the videos I've made and I'm like, "Oh, I already made that one." <laughs> it's going to happen to you. It's happened to me. You know, look up something and it's, "Oh god, it's my own website." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, speaking of specific activities, uh, I had to glaze, uh, apply some window glazing putty recently, which is one of my least favorite activities. And it's one of those skills, you know, where you just, you do it every couple of years and you somehow you forget how to do it. And I I looked it up and then what did I find? But it's Eric of Garden Fork talking about applying window glazing putty. Do you have any tips on how to do that? Well, full disclosure, I actually... The first glazing window video we did was with my friend Bobby, who is a window glazier um, professionally. And when we talk about window glazing, where it's single pane windows from uh, pre-1970, probably. Uh, my house was built in the 50s that we use it on. And it's kind of a clay-like compound. And I'm not quite sure actually what it's made of. But there's a couple key things when you want to reglaze a window that that stuff has flaked out and the window is getting loose, the little panes are getting loose. You want to first remove as much of it as you can without breaking the window pane. And then you may want to apply a little bit of linseed oil along the wood of the window pane where you're going to reapply the compound because when the compound dries, it is 
hydroscopic, is that the word? It pulls moisture from nearby areas. Um, so a little linseed oil there works really well. And then you want to buy a new can of glazing compound. Your can of glazing compound from five years ago is going to be as hard as rock. Yeah. Um, so just chuck it out and go buy a new one. If you are really stuck, you can knead uh, linseed oil back into that old compound and kind of revitalize it. But I think you're better off just buying a new can. And then the other one is a putty knife that has a bend in it. I don't know why, but it just makes it easier to push the stuff in. Yeah, that was a revelation for me. I ran out and got one of those, and that was uh, – thank you for that tip. That was a good one. The beauty of glazing compound is you can redo it. If you lay it in and it doesn't look right, um, you can scoop it back out again and then try it again. Um, and like most things in life, the first few times you do it, you're good, it's going to blow. Uh, it's not going to look very good. But all of a sudden, there's this kind of flow that happens. It's kind of like riding a bike or swimming or something or swinging a golf club. When you all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's like that. And then when it when it kind of hits this neat smoothness where the glazing compound is the right viscosity and you just lay it in and you're like, oh, I look like I know what I'm doing here. So you're you're in the zone, right? And uh, yeah. I think the big problem is people try and put too much compound in, mm -hmm. and the way to check that is you've laid in the compound, flip the window over, and look at it from the other side, and if you can see a lot of compound through that window, that pane of glass that you just laid it into, uh, you need to dial it back. And you can actually, with a utility knife or the sharp end of your uh, putty knife, you can, you can basically slice that off while maintaining a nice angle, and you're good to go. Well, that's one of the because I envisioned in a blog post that we would have a window glazing putty Olympics, and of course, one of the criteria would be putting too much putty in. Right, you'd get yeah. a few points off for that one. Uh, but you mentioned the linseed oil. Uh, someone in uh, the comments on my uh, blog post said, "Well, you know, they were looking at my window, which is a new." window that I had remilled and they said, well, it didn't look like you primed it first. Should I have primed it before I put the glazing putty in? You can. I like the linseed oil treatment better because I think that the glazing compound putty will bond with the wood better. And I think if you lay primer in there, um, it's, you're putting, uh, something between the wood and the mm. compound. Mm. Um, but it, it's out that for some, there might be a reason for it, and maybe some window glazers are yelling at the podcast speaker right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know why people say that, but I, I think the laying in of the linseed oil, boiled linseed oil, which is really good for preserving wood, by the way. It's a natural wood preservative uh, for your raised bed gardens and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I've heard of that painting thing. It's kind of funny. I, I get comments like that all the time, like, you're doing it wrong. You should do this. And I'm like, well, it's just another way, you know? Right. Well, speaking of actually of the boiled linseed oil, do you uh, apply that to, because there's, this is another kind of controversial thing, I suppose, but there's certain parts of a old double hung window you're not supposed to paint, right? The parts that rub against the other parts of wood. Now, do you put yep. the linseed oil on those parts of the window? No. No? Um, I just leave the bare wood. Oh, okay. Because I've heard it needs to breathe, right? Is that the... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I actually think what what people should do if they want a better uh, insulation value and you have a, a single glazed double hung window 
is to mount a triple track window on the outside of it, which is what I have uh, on my little house. And on this old house magazine, this old house, the 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 TV show, and on their website, um, the contractor guy—I can't remember his name—has uh, said that installing these new versions of the triple track is almost as good as replacing the window with a with a new double glazed insulated window. So mm. that's what I'm I'm slowly replacing all my old triple tracks with the new ones and they're not that expensive. They're like less than $200 a pop. Hmm. And hmm. that'll save on your heating and air conditioning bills. Now, um I was also doing a little googling to find out another uh question I had, how to fix it kind of question, and of course I landed back on Garden Fork and the topic was concrete anchors. So I know that that's a issue close to your heart, uh, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I've nice drilled in a lot that. of cement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you have any uh, tips on the right concrete anchor for the right job? Well, the first thing is you or a friend should own a hammer drill, a corded hammer drill. And you can get one for all of about $65 because they – unless you have like a 50-volt cordless drill – um, a corded drill has more torque to get into problem areas, and I just think you should have this drill because it can also function as a regular rotary drill and a hammer drill. But if you want to go into brick or cement, um, you know, a lot of people go buy a masonry bit and they have their regular drill, and it just doesn't work. And I used to get so many calls from people um, who say, my husband was trying to hang the TV on the brick wall, and it doesn't work. How much to go do this, you know? <laughs> But um, you've got a couple different choices for anchors. I like to use what are called sleeved anchors, which is a bolt that has kind of like a metal – it's like a metal straw around the outside of it. And the back of the bolt that goes into the brick or cement is flared at the end. So when you tighten down this bolt, it actually flares and mushrooms and anchors itself in the brick. So that's for heavier loads. If you're doing lighter loads, like I put a tool rack up at my sister's house in a cinder block wall, we use what are called tap cons, which is a double-threaded concrete lag bolt. And that works quite good for medium to, to, me medium to light loads. Uh, the trick there is to use a specific diameter drill bit and don't round it out as you drill in or pull the, the drill bit out. You want a nice clean hole at that precise diameter. And then the Tapcon bolt, it's a double-threaded bolt. They go in, and they uh, they grab pretty nicely. Yeah, I finally broke down and got a hammer drill, so I'm happy I did. At the uh, the store that people don't like to talk about, uh. it's, uh, <laughs> whose initials are HF, <laughs> you can get one, or Skill makes one. At the Blue Store, you can buy a Skill hammer drill, I think, for 65 bucks. Okay, There'll well, be a link uh, in the show notes for uh, uh, Root Simple as to where to get this thing. There you go. Now you you brought it up, so I think we have to go there. The uh, the, the the notorious. Um, I'm going to just say it. Harbor Freight. What are your thoughts on on Harbor Freight? Is that an okay place to go for tools? Uh it just it depends on what you need. If you, I actually bought my flux core welder from Harbor Freight. Um, and for your average weekend hobbyist who needs to weld something, I think it's quite fine. Um, there's some, if you, if you need tools for your job, I don't think you should be buying stuff there, but, um, there are some stuff like I needed three foot 
long pipe wrenches because we have steam heat in the building. And to remove the radiators, you need these giant pipe wrenches. And so me and a buddy who has the same house, the steam heated house, we bought these three foot wrenches from Harbor Freight and they work just fine. Now, would they, would they work if I use them every day? I don't know. Um, but I think for a special tool that you need, I think they're just fine. I, I, I wouldn't buy a cordless drill from them. I would go with the name brand thing. But what they are good for is like the nitrile gloves are really great. Um, they have these super, super thick welding gloves. And I made a video about this, like three kitchen items you could buy from Harbor Freight. One of them were these welding gloves. So if you have a Dutch oven that you're putting in the oven to make no-need bread, or you're going to put in your fire pit to make your bean hole uh, white beans, uh, these gloves are great. So... They're, I don't think their drill bits are great. I have a socket set from them and it works pretty good. But again, I'm not a mechanic. I just, I use it on the weekends. So yeah, I mean, it's, I think they've upped their game as far as quality. Mm -hmm. And I, I needed, I needed some sawhorses for um, staining a bunch of wood. So it wasn't going to be holding a heavy load. They're just these plastic, they flip out, they fold back. They work just fine for that, you know? So weekend jobs, but maybe not the International Space Station. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. But wouldn't it be fun to work on that thing? Yeah. <laughs> With Harbor Freight Tools. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sponsored by. Uh, anyways. Uh, so yes, you. I, I. That video was was uh, was pretty funny. Where you where you uh, uh, theorized about kitchen tools. And I remember the rubber gloves, and I remember the um, the uh, the the heftier glove. There was something else though, wasn't there in there? And. Uh, Kitchen yeah, tools. Blank. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, when you think of kitchens, you don't immediately think of Harbor Freight. But uh, Well, the funny thing is, is um, the Harbor Freight in Brooklyn is, it's not a very large one. And yet that video, other people commented that the Harbor Freight n near them has a whole kitchen department. Oh, really? Like mm. with French fry cutters and stuff like that. What do you know? Okay. I haven't been in there in a while. Now you so, mentioned the blue store. Is that I'm just going to name it? Is that Lowe's? Is that what yeah, that is? Yeah, yeah. I call it the orange store is Home Depot, and the blue store is Lowe's. So now, if you have to choose between the orange store and the blue store, what um, what are your kind of criteria there, or are they interchangeable? Just, whoever has the thing I need um, uh. in New York, they're a little different. You know, I live in Brooklyn, and it just they 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 sell uh, similar products. I've also found that really nice people work at both places. If you have a question, um, there's uh, a lot of, I think a lot of retired contractors work at those stores and they love to help. Uh, lastly, um, well, actually on that note, actually, I, I want to just say locally lumber yards too are, are an interesting resource. I just stepped into one in a neighborhood I'm not in usually and I discovered they were they were taking street trees and milling them themselves, kind of like a DIY thing. And he took me in there, and he was flattening it with a router. It was fascinating. So that's actually another thing people should know about is a local lumber yard, if that's a resource where they are, too. I love lumber yards. There's um, up where I have our little weekend house in Connecticut, there is a lumber yard. All the lumber is inside this giant pole barn, and you drive your – uh, minivan in my case or truck in most everyone's cases into there and you load up what you want right there and then you pull out to the desk and you just tell them what you got you know it's this honor system thing which is kind of amazing oh, interesting. but and they have the most beautiful lumber in the world because it's it's all inside it's 
I they I think they care a little more and they're yeah. catering to a contractor as opposed right, to the right. home improvement store. So if you need really straight wood, especially if you're doing like trim work, uh, like a door trim, you need a piece of nice clear oak. I would suggest going to a local millwork lumber yard rather than the home improvement store for that. Yeah, higher quality for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, the last topic I have is uh, based on another video of yours, which is on mouse traps. So, um, trigger warning, I guess. There's some dead mice in that video. But do um, so you have any tips on um, on getting mice to take the bait and not run off with it? Well, the first tip is to buy as many mouse traps as you can afford. Um, <laughs> I put out, if I have a mouse problem, I put eight of them in the kitchen. Um, we have a backyard, and I, I'm guilty of just leaving the door open because the knucklehead Labradors like to run in and out. Oh, yeah. They'll be inside because I have food, but if they see a squirrel, they want to go out and go get the squirrel. And then I walk away, and I think that's when the mice just happen to hop by and they hop into the house. Um, and they invariably will land in the kitchen, even though I think I have a pretty clean kitchen. Um, the first rule is uh, buy as many traps as you can and eliminate food sources. I was trying to – I heard these mice in the ceiling of the kitchen, which is kind of creepy. Oh. And I couldn't figure out – they wouldn't take any of the bait on any of the traps I had out. And I finally realized I had a spare bag of dog food in the cabinet. And from looking at the front and the sides – it looked fine, but they had carved a little hole in the way back of the bag, and they'd been eating for a couple of weeks out of this bag. <laughs> so oh, God. Eliminate the food sources. And then uh, I've learned that mice love dog food and cat food, dry cat food. So I've been uh, taking cat food or dog food and with a hot glue gun or super glue, I've learned, will work. And I glue the, the dog food onto that little brass copper uh, tang of the manual trap and it works really good yeah it that, works better than peanut butter yeah that was a that was a great uh that was a great tip because if yeah the peanut butter they can often just eat that and run off and then you you know you can adjust also adjust the uh i, I guess it's called a tang but where the um the wire comes across the flip part and locks onto where the bait is the part that goes up at a 90 degree and sticks up where it latches, if you push that and make it more 90 degrees rather than like, you know, 87 degrees, it's even more sensitive. You have to be real careful because they snap real quick, but you can make them more sensitive than what they are out of the box. What do you know? And that'll whack them pretty quick. The other thing is to put the bait side of the trap up against a wall and put two of them about three or four inches apart. Hmm. Hmm. It, I'm much more successful that way. And the um, the peanut butter, I don't know. I always put a little bit on the bottom of that bait tang rather than on the top. But they mm. still can they can be real subtle and just lick off the peanut butter. But the dog food, smaller dog food works good, or the cat food's good. Is they kind of have to clomp onto it with their with their teeth, and so that is a perfect trigger for them to be um, made room temperature. Let's just say. And uh, what do you think of the electric traps? And you mentioned them in the video. They work great. Uh, Victor has two kinds, which um, Eric will link to in the Root Simple show notes here. But there there's go. a there's this one specifically for mice, which is twenty bucks. What I love about that is that it's dog proof because I have two very curious Labradors, oh. and um, they I can I can have those on the floor 
along the baseboard of the kitchen and they won't mess with them. Um, they, they still smell that there's something in there, but they can't get in there and get snapped. They can't be shocked. It's basically this little plastic tunnel with two metal plates and the mouse is lured in and puts his feet on the two plates and there's a capacitor with some batteries there and it electrocutes them. And um, then a little light blinks and you open it up and you dump him into the trash can, you close it back up and you set it back down and you're good to go again. And I, I got like four mice last year with that. And then Victor makes a rat trap version of that same gizmo. It's bigger. It's about, it looks like a mini mailbox, kind of <laughs> a rural mailbox. And I put that out thinking I might have a rat problem in my garage and I didn't, but it also zaps mice. It's, it's like a big tunnel. It's about a three-inch in diameter thing. But the mice go right in, and I throw a piece of dog food at the end of it, on the, the closed end of it. And they, again, hit those two plates and zaps them, and they're gone. So. And then you just dump the rat out of it or mouse out of it when it's uh, in there, right? And just put to... it, yeah, and turn the switch. You just turn it off, turn it back on to energize yeah. the capacitor. And you're, it's a great – if you don't want to deal with the snap traps, the electronic traps are more expensive, but they're a lot less messy. So – I love them. Now, in the video, you also tried different baits. You uh, toasted some almonds, which was pretty yeah. funny. And there were some Tootsie Rolls and dog food. Have you found any of those to be better than the other? Well, the, someone suggested almonds, and then someone else said if you toast the almond, the almond becomes more aromatic because you've warmed up the oil in the almond. And I I burnt the almond and accidentally. Um, but I did do reg just just well I got almonds from Costco and they're technically toasted and salted I guess but that was the best bait in my garage and I laid out four traps and the mouse went after the almond first uh, and then another mouse went after the dog food so the almond was pretty good and it was interesting because they had eaten probably about a quarter of the almond before the trap triggered I thought that was kind of interesting how they can be that kind of mm. delicate about it mm. But um, And then the Tootsie Rolls, I have not had uh, a lot of – I just put those out recently, so I have not had a lot of success with that. But I also – I've been reducing my mouse population. I do this every fall because you know, we're in New England, and when it gets cold, they want to come in to where it's warm. But this is all – these are all based on comments from that one video, and at the end of the video, I just asked, you know – what are your ways to do this? And it's really funny, just some of the answers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. I do like that you also said not to use poison. So why why shouldn't people use a rat poison or mouse poison? Well, I'm actually kind of a, a reformed uh, mouse poison person because um, I you know part of me was raised on that. And there's there are little baits that you can put out or the little powders. And what most of them are is a blood thinner, um, and it's a lot of times it's warfarin, which is a generic blood thinner that people take. As a blood pressure drug, humans take it. And what it'll do in mice uh, and small mammals is they will eat it and it causes them to hemorrhage internally. Uh, basically, the blood uh, thins out and it's, it, they, it starts to hemorrhage in their organs and in their body and they die from that. My issue with that now, because been, I've been apprised of this, is that if that mouse is sick, say I put this poison bait around my the perimeter of my house or in my greenhouse or in my garage 
if they're starting to die, they may go outside the garage because they're trying to get back to their nest or something. And what if a hawk comes by um, and grabs that dying mouse? They're ingesting the poison. And it might be a lethal dose. It might just be um, a harmful dose. But I don't need to be dosing my hawks and owls because I love hearing them. We have screech owls and bared owls, and they're kind of fun at night. Um, and the mechanical traps work just fine. And so the poison is easy because you just throw it and you never have to deal with it. But, yeah, I don't do that anymore. So lastly, uh, what's, uh, what are you working on these days? What, what videos do we have to look forward to? Um, I just planted uh, garlic in the garden. Uh, oh. Here in New England, we plant it in the fall. And it gets uh, that way, it gets a little bit of a head start. It'll start to grow the root and it will start to throw out some roots and then it gets cold. And in the spring, it shoots. It's one of the first things that comes up in the garden, which is really nice. And then you harvest it in July or August. And I, as I go, I've been learning how to grow garlic. And there's a video coming out about three tips for growing. And I'll, I'll divulge them ahead of time here for you all. But the, my biggest one is to experiment with different varieties. And last year I planted two different varieties and they were just kind of like both kind of meh, you know, they just were like, they weren't, they were underwhelming. And I was expecting, I like big cloves of garlic. And one of them, the cloves were, they were small. It was like tiny bulbs. And I'm like, I, I don't really like to have to peel tiny bulb garlic, you know? Yeah. It's heirloom and all that, but it was just really underwhelming. So I will mm. not use that one again. And then the other one was kind of, eh, it was okay. But this year I got German hardnecks, which is a porcelain variety. And the bulbs are huge that I'm planting. And if you, once you figure out a couple of varieties that you like, save the largest bulbs for next year's planting is the other tip. And then they're also, they're big nitrogen eaters, which I didn't realize until recently. I get my garlic, seed garlic from Fillery Farm, F-I-L-A-R-E-E.com. They're in Utah or Idaho, super nice people. And they have a ton of information about how to grow garlic and some great varieties like, oh, this was smuggled over from Siberia, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. And I learned from them that these are just big nitrogen eaters. Um, as well. So I use a time, an organic time-released fertilizer and I'm pretty generous with it. So I just, I just do that out. And the last one is, at least in the Northern States, people are told to put hay or straw down in the winter to uh, supposedly kind of insulate the ground and keep it from heaving and it might push the clove out of the ground. Well, your clove should be your two inches down anyway, so I don't think they're going to heave and if you put hay or straw down, even straw has uh, it has wheat seeds in it. Uh, hay and and that has even more weed seeds. So I just think you're asking for trouble. So I put mulched uh, leaves down, and they're like oak and maple in my yard. But I run them over with the lawnmower, and I, have a, I put the bagging attachment on the lawnmower. And so I have this leaf mulch, and I lay that about an inch thick on that garlic bed and then I'm good to go. And then when they sprout up, they'll poke right through that leaf mulch and the leaf mulch will hold in moisture and you'll get a ton of worms as well with the leaf mulch. So, Well, cool. Looking forward to seeing that video. Yeah, you can go to garden no, youtube.com slash garden fork and then uh, they eventually make it to the garden fork.tv website as well. Much better so, yeah. than Netflix. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like for lunch, I have my iPad and I watch YouTube videos at lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Well, thank you, Eric. Pleasure's mine, sir. That was Eric Rochow. His website is gardenfork.tv. Make sure to subscribe to his channel in YouTube. And thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for supporting this podcast. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple podcast through our Patreon campaign or through a one-time PayPal donation. You can find those links on the right side of our blog, which is rootsimple.com. You can also purchase one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our closing theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Thank you.